Y'all are hugging and I come in, y'all are hugging and praying for each other. I mean, y'all like y'all, y'all like each other. I know. That's great. That's the way it's supposed to be in the house of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I missed, I missed being here. So as we start today, we're going to open in prayer. And we'll remember, remember Dennis Jenkins had neck surgery, and he's, it went well. Everything they hoped to accomplish, they did. And so we're going to keep praying for him, praying we're praying. <laughs> We're going to keep praying for him. Yeah, there you go. And um, who else? It seems like there was somebody else that was just Karen Ewing. Yes, um, we need to pray for her. And I. Just dissolve. That's right. We'll pray. Let's pray this way as well. Who else? Anybody? Okay. So, sister needs a touch in her body. Andy? Wow. Is she all right? I mean, I don't, that didn't sound all right, but I mean... Oh, wow. Mm. Hey, wow, that's a miracle. Yeah, wow. Yeah, wow. Let's, let's pray for this continued healing. Okay. Okay. Just need a divine... Hey, God's grace, right, I know, and many times they won't from family. God knows how to get a hold of people, mm-hmm. right, well, let's pray. Hey, let's just pray, we, you know, we serve a mighty God. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your blessing, God. We know, Father, that every situation that seems beyond the grasp of us, Lord God, is not beyond the grasp of your divine arm. Your arm is not too short to save, and your ear is not deaf that you can't hear. And we just lift up every need that was mentioned, Lord God. Right now, we just lift up lost loved ones, those who are walking in delusion. We call them to the light in the name of Jesus. We speak to their road to become just blocked in every way until they call out to you, Lord. I pray that you would bring them to themselves, Lord God. Let them be inundated with the witness of your spirit through your messengers, Lord. I pray, Father, for those who need a touch in their body, for this one who was hit by a car. We just speak healing over this body. God, no remaining head trauma, Lord God. 
total restoration, the sister who's had surgery, God, we just ask that you would touch her body. For Dennis, we just thank you, Lord God, that you are guiding the hands of the surgeon and they accomplished what they wanted to, that you would raise him up, Lord, and let him live the remainder of his days pain-free in the name of Jesus. We pray, Father, for those who need healing in their body right now. We speak the healing word and we claim it in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for all of your blessings. We thank you for opening our hearts to your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. That's, and, we, and we pray for Ray in the name of Jesus that you would touch his body and raise him up. We send your word to him in Jesus' name. Okay. We're going to go to Exodus 12. Now, I'm, I'm debating of how much I'll read of this passage. I would love for you to read the whole passage. Some of you are reading the Bible through, and it may be very familiar to you right now. But Exodus 12 is the Passover. The Passover of taking Egypt out, or no, taking Israel out of Egypt. And so it's very detailed in, the, in what they were supposed to do. Now remember when you're reading this in Exodus 12, this is the inaugural or first indication of Passover. Now they've never, Passover wasn't a thing until it was a thing, right? So they don't know the concept of Passover. Just imagine if I was getting up here and all, and I'm Moses, and I'm receiving instruction from the Lord, and I'm saying, okay, God has given me instruction for you that's going to save your life. And now I'm telling you all of these things you have to do. The Lord says you have to get a one-year-old sheep, a lamb or a goat, from your flock. And that you have to bring it in and inspect it with your family for four days. Running, looking at it, making sure it's good. So all of your family, your kids are going to be there. And you've got a one-year-old lamb in your house. And they're petting it. They're intimately involved with this lamb. And then what's going to happen? They're going to kill it. Now what's that going to do? They are going to see a price that's being paid. They're going to feel something. They're going to feel, you're going to feel something. Everybody's going to feel something. Because that is why when the Lord gave the instruction, do not eat the blood. Because in the mindset, when you drain the blood from the animal, you have just taken its life into liquid form. And now this life of this animal in this basin is going to do something for you. And so that's why there was such honor put and such significance put on the blood. Even in... Women who are menstruating, 
A loss of blood meant a loss of life. And so that's why there was all of this about being clean. They were constantly honoring the shedding of blood. Because loss of blood meant the loss of life. And the loss of any amount of blood was an indication of the curse that Adam and Eve had chosen. Now, man was put into a perpetual generation of death or loss of life. See, aren't you? I mean, God is so specific. So here we are right at this. We're right at this pivotal moment in redemptive history. And here we are at Genesis 12, and we've gotten all of the ordinances of Passover. It's very specific. Sorry, Exodus, I'm sorry. Exodus 12, and it's very specific. The lamb, if you were to have a lamb, maybe you had a small family, you could go together with a neighbor. And y'all could both keep the lamb, and y'all could... Slay the lamb together, and you could divide. After you roasted the lamb whole, the innards, <laughs> innards, you know, everything, everything was roasted. Not on this. Now, many times they did. There were certain sacrifices, but not this. You didn't break the bone. You didn't remove anything. It was roasted whole. It's not that they had to eat the entrails. It was that they had to stay intact. Because this is, this is, this is going to mean something to y'all in about 1,500 years. But see, the me- God is so committed to the message. He's committed to the method. And so they roasted the lamb, and then they had to eat it. Now, Here's another caveat. You go all the way down to chapter 12. I just want you all to read this and really meditate on it. You get all the way down to the end of 12, and it tells you that no one could eat the lamb, foreigner or otherwise, that was not circumcised. So there were some Egyptians that did partake, because it says they let them out a mixed multitude. Meaning there were some other foreigners in the crowd. Now, what that also means is if they were a servant in the house and they were not Hebrew. And they were not circumcised. There were grown men being circumcised before this. And that tells you why when Moses, if y'all remember, when Moses was coming, when he was coming out of Midian with his son, and, and Zipporah didn't want to sac- didn't want to didn't well, what mother would come on you got a boy up walking that's past age and and all of a sudden you know Moses is like you know we need to circumcise Junior and she's like what do you mean circumcise he said well it's kind of a Hebrew thing I didn't tell you about it because I didn't think it was ever going to matter but you have to do this and this and such and such and she's like I am not going to do this twelve or whatever I don't know you know what I'm saying. Now, how many of you, y'all are all thinking, yeah, that's horrendous. I mean, and so she didn't want to do it. And Moses, Moses is kind of a pacifist a lot of times. You see his personality coming through. He's like, okay. 
And they're on their way to Egypt for him to start. And he, they get sick. The boy gets sick. God's fixing a, no, God's fixing a killing. She would, God's fixing a killing. And so, but here's the reason. So she circumcised him. The whole thing went down. But if you understand it, you're like, God is so weird and so, you know, like, is that kind of cruel? You can kind of see it through that lens. But here's the thing. God, if you check the burning bush episode, God already told Moses exactly what was going to happen. I'm going to kill the firstborn of Egypt. And I'm going to say. So when he, that was his firstborn. By him not obeying and, and, cov- and bringing him into covenant, the boy was a dead man. He knew it. And that's why she threw the foreskin down and said, you are a bloody bridegroom to me. She was mad about it because she's from Midian. She's like, why have I hooked up this weird Hebrew? But she did because you know why she obeyed? Came down to... I don't, it seems like it's always been about life and death, hadn't it? Do whatever. Yeah. But anyway, that's, a, that's part of the whole story. That's part of the whole narrative that sometimes is lost on us if we don't understand what's going on. And so here we are in Exodus 12. And now what's happened is they've, they, they're supposed to, they're supposed to, take the lamb to drain its blood, to paint the, the blood on the doorpost. You know the story from here, I'm sure. And I liken that last week in taking the hyssop and dipping it in, that the hyssop was an herb that was literally everywhere, everywhere in Egypt. And so we liken the hyssop, like how do we, how do we now actually apply the blood to our life? How do we do that? Well, we use the hyssop we have, our words, which are literally everywhere. How many words have you spoken today? See, that's accessible. See, the word, see, Jesus said that. He said, I have not given you, not Jesus, but Moses told, Moses speaking to the nation through God, you know, God's given the words, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The words I speak to you, they are not far away from you. They're not like on some, they're not in some mystical place that you can't get to. I'm not, the word of salvation I'm giving to you, it's not far off that you can't reach it. He said, it's nigh to you. It is in your mouth. And it's in your heart. And so we say, well, that's Old Testament. Now, okay, great. Let's go to Romans 10. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And you shall be saved. See, you confess with the heart believes. And with the mouth is made to confession. So that's the hyssop. And we're applying the blood through our confession of what the Lord has done. His sacrifice. He is the Paschal Lamb or the Passover Lamb. But we don't know it's fulfilled. They are just learning the sacrifice system. This is the first of the sacrifice system here. And so we confess the blood or we plead the blood. As old timers, you say, plead the blood. I plead the blood. We would pray for our girls. We always bless them every night. Not just our girls, our son too. But 
the girls were little. That's when we started it is when they were little. And so we would, every night, we would go in to their room, and Mike or I were, both of us, we'd lay our hands on them, and we would speak a prophetic blessing over them. We would say, I bless you. I bless, I bless Lord, bless Lainey. Bless the feet, that her feet put them on the path of righteousness. I bless her, Lord God, and I thank you that she is a gift to our family. I bless her and thank you that everything that she puts her hand to will be blessed. Bless her eyes to see. Bless her ears to hear your voice. Every night. And we would say, and Lord, we plead the blood over them. The blood, God, let it protect them and guard them. And if we, one night, Mike didn't, he forgot the blood. And Hannah's laying in bed. She's too, she said, Daddy, what about the blood? Daddy, you didn't say the blood. So we always, and if we miss the blood, I need the blood. And then on the way to school, when he, until they started driving, he would drive them to school. He'd say, come on, guys, let's get hands. And he'd bless them. He'd speak a blessing. He'd speak a prophetic word regarding their future. Not like prophesying you're going to be painters and artists. and You know what I'm talking about. Just prophesying, blessing over them from the testimony of Christ. For the testimony of Christ is a spirit of prophecy. He would speak that blessing over them. And that blessing just continues on. There's something so powerful about the parental blessing, but especially, especially the Father's blessing. I bless you. I mean, they've, the, my girls and my son, they've heard their daddy bless them so many times. He's a, it's just, right? It was so, we read a little children's book on the power of the blessing when they were babies. And we're like, we're doing that. And we did it. We are doing that. That sounds good to us. I believe in the Father's blessing. So here we are. And now we, we plead the blood. Um, and so for us, much like in Egypt, we paint the blood. We gather hyssop with our words. That, and then they were to do what next? They were paint it. What were they to do next, if you know? They were, close to, they were to consume the lamb. Eat it. Eat all, eat all you can. You're supposed to eat all of it. But if you can't, I mean, you, you know, you're not going to eat the innards and all that, you know, so the ears and the nose and the tail and the toes kind of thing. But you have to, but you have to burn. So what does fire do to something? I heard it. It consumes it. It consumes it. And what, when, it cons- when fire consumes something, what does it transform it into? Smoke and ash. So a part of it goes to the earth, and a part of it goes to heaven. So there's nothing left. So we're, see, we're seeing the, we're just seeing all of the, there's a part of us, when we come to Christ, there's a part of us that dies and is going to go into the but then there's a part of us to be, it's going to ascend until one day that earthly part's going to be transformed and the mortal's going to put on immortality and this earth suit's going to put on something way more divine and I'm going to be walking through walls like Jesus. And I'm going to be moving. I don't have to go on a road trip and take 18 hours to get there. You know? How many of y'all, there. I don't know how it's going to work, but I'm, I'm I can imagine, I can imagine. Yeah, the boy. 
Walmart's going to be in heaven. Okay, and here's another thing I want to point out for you. They were to, they were to also huddle. i got it probably right here. Jesus, oh, Jesus. Exodus 12, 12. I'll just read this scripture. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will execute judgments against all the gods, little g's, all the gods of Egypt, I am Adonai. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. So there will be no plague among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And what we understand is they were to not eat in a posture of lackadaisical hanging out, we're just chilling. You read the whole chapter. They were supposed to get ready, get their bags packed, get their family together, and not eat in a restful way. I think it must have been standing up, probably because a Hebrew would lay down on their side, you know what I mean, to eat. That would be a Hebrew way of eating. I think they were standing and eating. I think the men had their, their long robes to gird up, ready to travel. They were ready to go. So they were ready waiting. They were ready, get ready, and wait. What are we doing? That's all we do. We're ready waiting. Ready waiting. That's all I'm doing. I'm ready waiting all the time. I'm constantly ready waiting. So here they were. And then at night, at midnight, the chapter says that midnight, the death angel goes out over the land to execute justice and vengeance from God. Because God is judging the wickedness in Egypt. There comes a time where God says, it is finished. The cup of my wrath is full. And this was such a time. And so he pours out. The death angel goes through. And in every home, the firstborn was slain. That did not have every home of Egypt that was not that was not circumcised, the blood applied, the lamb slain, eaten and ready waiting. It wasn't like so. See, we sometimes we're like, "Oh God's such a He's so cash." You know what I mean? He just take anything, any old diddly will do. I just I know I should be obedient, but then I'm not because. But He's so cool with me. I hear that. I don't hear those words exactly, but it's the attitude behind the words. Often I hear that. So anyway, we go, we look at this, and now what we're going to look at is they are, they are ready waiting. It's nighttime, and it's 12, and at midnight this starts happening. Now let's look. Let's look a little bit further. The death angel goes through. Who is secure? Only those who are circumcised, blood applied, full of the lamb, and ready waiting for the work to be finished. They are being saved 
by another man's work, by another's work. Now, another man, there's no man in the position here, right? But what's in the position? Whose work saved them? What? The lamb. See, the lamb is a placeholder. You see what I mean there? We've created a thing called salvation. But I haven't, God's like, I'm not revealing the full how salvation is happening yet. So we're going to put a lamb in there that you're going to get attached to. And then you're going to have to kill. So we have a, right, right. So we're having that lamb as a placeholder. But that's a placeholder for 1,500 years. And so now when you hear John the Baptist's words, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We've got the placeholder removed and the person. That lamb was a prophetic announcement of one who was coming. And we've got the one who the lamb has been prophetically announcing all this time. And he slipped into the gap. So here we are. So I'm trying to put the old and the new together for you in a construct that you can really go, wow, Christ, you did what? So we're saved now by another's work. It's a memorial, God said. I want you to do this every single year. I want you to stay connected to this event. And it was a memorial, and they were supposed to do one thing. It was the Haggadah is what Passover is called. They go through the, the process. It's called the Haggadah. The Haggadah means something in Hebrew. It means the telling. I want you to tell the story of the night whenever God passed over you and delivered you from Egypt. They weren't there, were they? How many generations wouldn't have been there? But see, but if the first generation tells the next generation, who tells the next generation, who tells the next generation, then it only has to happen once for it to stay alive in the hearts of the people until Christ comes. But if a first generation doesn't tell a second generation, if a first generation doesn't pass something over to a second generation... Then, then we get a situation like Judges where they weren't doing it because it happened throughout Israel's history. And another generation rose up who did not know the works of God. And why might that be, pray tell? Because the generation before didn't think it was important. Oh, they sent them to school. They learned how to dissect a frog. They learned... They learned that pi equals 3.14. They learned the quadratic equation. They learned. They learned these They learned to read, and those things are great. But you didn't pass on the most important thing. Well, I'm going to let my kids grow up and choose their own path. You're a moron. You're an anti-biblical, anti-Christ moron. In love. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I, I can't. I'm, I'm like, you don't know. Like, could you make it more plain, right? 
Okay, well, listen to what she's saying. So this happens, okay, this happens from, but you're like, okay, but the generation and the next generation and the next, uh, we've got, we're how many generations removed from a gospel witness in a family? How many generations removed from a gospel witness? See, every time you remove a gospel witness from a generation, Mike and I came into the kingdom of God and we recognized the fact that we were, we were generation, how long it was removed from a gospel witness. Well, my grandmother was still on the ground and she had six kids and none of them served the Lord. And she was a church of God pastor's daughter. And I didn't even, I heard stories about her grand, her daddy who was a preacher and it sounded like a fairy tale. The tooth fairy seemed more real to me than anyone who served God. Because all I had was the witness around me. All I had, I'm like, I'm listening to these stories about this man of God and a man who... They prayed during the, the, the Spanish flu, and all of their 11 children were spared. Not one of them got sick as my grandma and my grandpa went into the homes of people who were dying of Spanish flu, but never actually took the flu. And I'm hearing these stories about prayer and how they had to pray every night and how God intervened so many times. And I'm looking at my grandmother going, is this real? Because my daddy is a moron. Did you forget to tell him? He didn't listen. She told him. But they didn't, they didn't hold it together. They didn't make it a priority. You know, it just wasn't that important. They didn't oversee their spiritual development like you do your children's reading development. You see what I'm saying by that? Like you, I mean, how many of you parents, you knew you had the, you had reading and your children or you yourself and you, you kid every like three months, your kid got a reading score and you knew how much where they were at, if they were reading on grade average or not. Man, it was something for us. It was like we're always watching that. You know what I mean? We're like, I'm reading with my kids. I'm making sure. I, I look at their spelling tests. I'm watching their grades. I don't want them to fall behind. I'm overseeing their learning because I'm a parent. I oversaw their nutrition because I'm a parent. I oversaw their, what they put on their bodies because I'm a parent. I oversaw the friends that they hung around with because I'm a parent. But then so many times we don't oversee their spiritual development. Give your kids a Bible lesson test. See how well you're clocking with, their word of the God, with the Word of God. But it may be indicative of the fact that you yourself don't know the Word of God. And now I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be mean. You're like, Andrew, you're making me feel bad. Well, it's time someone made you feel bad. Because at some point, we have to have a diagnostic before we can accept the cure. Because people will not go after the cure when they feel as though they're doing nothing wrong. 
you're just letting culture sweep you away. And I'm not talking about being some sort of an overbearing religious nut in your home either. That's not done very well for those people who have lived under that. That's why you have to have, you as a parent, have to have an up-to-date relationship with the Lord so you're not passing on something you don't even understand yourself. They need to see real relationship happening. I asked my daughter Hannah because she's my most honest child. She's the most like me, the least dipl- diplomatic. Lainey and Jacob will diplomat you to death. They are most, dip- they are so, aren't they, Mike? Diplomatic. They won't say anything to offend you. They will, they will style it as such that it is going to always, and they will never say anything against their father. Lainey will not ever, if there's a, if there's a hair out of place on that man's head, she will say, it is beautiful, Dad. I'm telling you, she won't speak a word against that man. He walks on water as far as she's concerned. And so I ask Hannah, Hannah, why do you serve the Lord and you're raised in our house? What is it about your raising? You know, you're asking an honest child something. What is it about our race? Now, what is it? Is it something we did good or something we did bad? Is it something, you know, how? I want to know. Give me now, you're an adult, give me the intel. She said, it's one thing. She said, you were consistent. She said, who y'all were in the church is who you were at home. She said, there was no difference. What you presented in front of the congregation, and I saw, was what you presented at home. Y'all were real there and there, and you never asked us to perform. I was like, thank you, Jesus. Because there were times I was like, oh, God, don't let me ruin my kids. Don't let me screw them up. Let them serve you in spite of me, God. Let them serve you in spite of me. And then if I saw, like, one of my kids was not living the way I thought they needed to be living, you know what I mean? I I would go, I hit my knees, and I I mean, I made a vow with God. I can take you to the place. Mike and I talk about it often. We were sitting in East Texas, in Kilgore, Texas, on a man's land. His name was Danny Mills, and he had this little outdoor, is an oilfield doghouse he turned into an apartment. And we used to put um, our evangelists in that, in that place, and then they would preach at our church. And so we were sitting out there with a man we'd just met. His name was Charity Harris, Lonnie Harris's uncle, him and Ruth. And we were young, green. I mean, we were just pastoring, weren't we? We didn't know if we were coming or going we didn't Mike was trying to serve communion and serve wine first and bread last you know what I mean he didn't know we'd had him serve communion did you we had we a man left the church because of that because he got confused he was so nervous we were pastors a week in the church and somebody died he had never done a funeral you didn't know where to stand you didn't know what to do you were we were dumber than a box of rocks only thing we had going for us was God. We were two kids raised in, on the wrong side of the tracks in the wrong families, and we didn't have, we didn't know, we, were, we didn't have any legacy, we didn't have any heritage. We were like, you know, we knew how to grow marijuana, but we didn't know how to. I mean, when Mike first got saved, now I'm going to have to tell this because it's just funny. When we first got saved, we left church, 
and we were talking. I said, you know what we should start doing? He said, what? I said, we should start reading the Bible at night aloud. He said, well, let's not read the Old Testament. I said, why? He said, I don't, I don't read the Old Testament. I, don't, I said, why? He said, I don't think we need to. It's old. That's what he said. Yeah. Isn't that what you... And I said, I said, don't ever say that again. He said, why? I said, I don't know, but it doesn't feel right. <laughs> so, so as I tell you that... So just in case you might think that we were somehow born with a microphone in our hand and we're, we're spouting off exegetical phrases and we're homiletics and, you know, it's not true. No one starts there. You know, my kids have a far better leg up than we had, right? But so here we are and we're listening to Charity and Ruth and they're telling us about all the people who are missionaries in their family and they're taking it back to a praying grandma and she prayed, and all these kids, and this one's a missionary, and that one's a missionary, and this one's in ministry, and that one's in ministry, and that one's in He said, man, you throw a rock, you hit a preacher in our household. And Mike and I both heard, and something began to burn in us. And I said, and I didn't even know he was thinking the same thing. I thought, I want that for my kids. I want them to trace back the spiritual legacy to Mike and Andrea Sanders, my great, 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 great grandparents. And I want to change the trajectory of our family, and I want it to start right here. And I felt like the Lord said, I'll do it. If you'll believe it, I'll do it. And if you'll stay committed to it, I'll certainly stay committed to it. And we both covenanted with each other and with God that that's who we'd be. And any time I saw my children moving from a path that I thought deviated from that day, that promise, I would hit my knees and say, God, this is not what you said. I've done my part, maybe not perfect, but I've done it to the best of my ability. And I'm asking you, God, to make good on your word. And he said, you know what he told me when I said that? Don't you worry. Don't look at what you see, Andrea. Look at what you know. And I've had to do that many times. It hadn't always been roses. I thought a few times I was going to lose one or two. But I always took it back to God. And I said, God, you said. See, I kept my, now, I didn't, you don't know, think, well, you're arrogant, Andrea. You told God, you're keep. I've kept it. I haven't done it perfectly, Andy. I haven't done it perfectly. But I've done it in faith. I've shown up. I've, I've got up and I've preached when there was one, when there was 100, when there was 1,000. It did not matter to me. I've been faithful to study the word. I have been faithful to live what I thought was the will. Thank you so much. What I have thought was the will of God as I have been led by the Spirit. And I told my kids, and I told my kids, I didn't give them the choice. Do you want to go to church? I taught my children to tithe. Do you know we, Hannah said this to me the other day. She said, Mom, Laney, I think it was. Mom, you taught us to tithe. Y'all, Mom and Dad, you taught us to tithe when we were little. I said, yeah. She said, I'm afraid. She named Olivia. She said, I'm afraid Olivia doesn't know how to tithe. I said, teacher. How did we teach our children to tithe? That and, that and, they got $100 birthday money? I'd say, 
I didn't say, I didn't say ten dollars, give me ten dollars of that because you're a little heathen. You're gonna tithe. No, no, no. I said, okay. And we demonstrated tithing before them too. They saw us tithing. They saw it. We 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 believe that the Lord gets the first. And so we've tithed. We write it on the envelope. Our kids could see. See, things have changed a little bit because we have online giving and things. But many times, you know, he would always have a check ready, his offering ready, because he were doing this. Our kids would see this. And so when the kids got money, Lainey said, I think I could do 10% before I knew even what math was. She said, you tell me, you say, you got a dollar, Lainey? And she said, I knew, I just knew. That's a dime. And some of you don't think that's a big deal. Training. I'm teaching lordship. The first. God's a first place God. First place. Come on. And so that's what, and that's what we taught. I'm saying, well, you say, I, didn't, I don't teach, I don't believe that. Then you do you. I'm gonna, I, I, want, I, want you to, I want you to understand this is what telling means. It's telling. Keep this day as a memorial to you. You are to keep it as a feast to Adonai. This is 12 and 14 of Exodus. Throughout the generations, you are to keep it as an eternal ordinance. New Testament fullness now. We have New Testament fullness and we see it in Christ. See, all of that for all those years was dress rehearsals. Dress rehearsals are over. That's just dress rehearsals. The, the, the real show has already happened and that was on Calvary. So let's look at how that actually played out in relation to how did God keep that all in perspective. So you take, Jesus said, take and eat. This is my body. I'm, I'm, I'm just quoting now New Testament. And the night that Jesus, is in John. You can read this in John. In the night that Jesus was betrayed, they were at Passover in the upper room, right? And so at Passover, he said, I'm going to institute a new covenant. Because so, now the lamb, who is the, the placeholder, is being removed. And Jesus is stepping in as the, this is who, I, the real lamb. This is all, that was just a placeholder. I'm the real actor. And he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. And he said, this is my blood. And so they're entering into a covenant that night, and, and it's a Passover of sorts. So we've got to look at this. How does this all play out? And when Jesus was on the cross, it says, darkness came over the land at what time? No, no. He was, he was, he was crucified during the day. See, the lamb, yeah, yeah wait. The lamb was crucified before midnight. But at midnight in Egypt, the death angel passed through. Now, the corresponding, that's the placeholder. That's the dress rehearsal. Now we're putting the real performance in. At noon, 12 o'clock p.m., Jesus is crucified. You're like, well, why did they do it at night? Why was it night over here and day over here? Because it was still a mystery here. It was still in darkness here. 
the mystery, it was still covered up. We hadn't exposed the whole thing yet. It's still a mystery what's going on. I believe that the death angel passed through at 3 o'clock. That started, it was finished by 3 o'clock, 3 a.m. Because Jesus hung on the cross, it says, from 12 p.m. until 3. And what was over the land for three hours? Well, he hung there for later. Darkness was on the land. Now, if you remember, Jesus said this in John 9. He said that, well, Luke 23 and 44, if you want a reference to that, it was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until 3 in the afternoon. So we have that. Jesus said, I must work the works while it is day. For the night cometh when no man can work. That's Passover language. See, he was doing the full work of salvation. Yes. So he's there in that time. Darkness is the night. The night comes over the land. Darkness comes over the land. It's the night of no man's work. This is 100% the work of God and the work of Jesus. And so man is, in a sense here, just ready waiting. Lamb in their belly, ready waiting. Now, I know this, you think, what? And the death angel, the death angel then passed over the world. And it consumed its victim. The firstborn, not of Egypt, the firstborn of God. So he then becomes the first. Born of God, who receives all the judgment of the world so that his blood can make anybody who will apply it through their confession and their circumcision now of heart, of the removing of the flesh, now they come into this relationship with the Lord by virtue of his sacrifice. So was, was the law fulfilled or was it fullness? I'm just, I, don't, I can't get in that. It's fullness. Because Christ is the, when Jesus is on the, when Jesus is on the Mount of Olives, or the, is it olives, wherever he's teaching, the, what's it called? The Sermon on the Mount, that's what it is. When he's teaching the Sermon on the Mount, he makes some real weird statements. Like, you have heard it said in the law of Moses, if you, not to commit adultery, but I say to you, and he makes it harder, if you look upon a woman in lust, you've already committed adultery. You've heard it said, do not murder your brother. But I say, if you call your brother a fool, you've already murdered. So it's like, wow, this is hard. So what this is, is we're seeing here, Jesus is saying, as Moses came down from the mountain and gave the law, he's another Moses, so to speak. He's the, Moses was a placeholder as well as the lamb. 
He's the new placeholder. See, Moses is taken out, now Jesus is put in. You see what I'm saying? So this is all through the Word of God. Here's Jesus standing there, and he's coming down the mountain with commandments, only they're harder. So we're like, what in the Sam Hill? How could you make these harder? We couldn't keep them when they were easy. Er. <laughs> fullness, fulfilled, or fullness? See, Jesus is saying all through, all through Moses, they were, they were walking toward the day of Christ with the law, and they were trying their best to fulfill it. And they were, oh, they were oh, gosh, I thought I did good, and they fail. And they couldn't, and they were like, oh, but the sacrificial system. So I go and I offer the blood, and the blood is a substitute for my, and it atones for my, okay, I'm going to do better. Okay, I'm going to try to keep the law. I'm going to try to keep the law. Oh, daggum, I fell again. So I'm going to get the sacrifice, and I'm going to go to the, and I'm going to, and it's going to go through the whole thing. There's going to be a mediator. There's, I have a mediator. Thank God, Tim, I have a mediator. I can go to the priest and they can take care of this because I am a screw up. Right? I'm not using the priest. There's no, you know what? There is no such thing as a sacrifice for intentional sin. I can't go. I got me a backup plan. Dirty deeds done dirt cheap. I can't do it. What are you doing? I'm sinning. Why? I got the priesthood. <laughs> I can't do that. There's no place in the law for that type of a sacrifice. You know what we're going to do with that person? Line up, buddy. I got a rock in my pocket. You got your rock? They're dead. They're judged instantly. Because that's not what this story is supposed to communicate. I don't know why we think in a New Testament context it will now communicate that. doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. He's a better priesthood. Certainly, he would. It's like, that didn't work. You think you can go out and get high and say, I got the blood of Jesus? You're squirrely. Yeah, it's like, because well, they, they don't understand the Bible. If they were in my class, they'd understand the Bible. Yes. <laughs> You're like, Andrew. <laughs> okay, so. We look at this and we see that that's the, the grace of God is moving them, moving them toward that. So fullness, I forgot where I was at. I got caught up in dirty deeds. Okay, so we go and then Jesus is saying, so they're, they're coming in the years of the law and they couldn't do it and they couldn't do it. And it's our schoolmaster. Paul says our schoolmaster bringing us to Christ. So see, the law taught us two things. The law taught us God is righteous and we are holy. And No, God is righteous and holy and we are unholy. And you need help. That's what it taught us. There's going to be a sacrifice for this. God is righteous and you're unrighteous. See, the law was diagnostic. It diagnosed you with a disease. What's your disease? You have sin. You're diagnosed. And what is the sin? What is the disease? Terminal. No cure. Oh, how do I do? But I, we're going to, so we have the sacrificial system. It's going to keep you alive. Life support. But it's artificial life. You know, you're dragging around your oxygen tank. You're not really free. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's like you're, you're, it's all this apparatus that's really clunky and hard to live. So then, so the law was diagnostic. It was not prescriptive. It couldn't write a cure. So I need to cure that sin disease you have. I need to cover it because covering it just makes you 
it just gives you the iron lung and all the apparatus and you just walk around. You're still a sham of a version of what I created you to be. So I need to do something. I know. I'll give you a new heart. I'm going to make you into a new person. So now fullness is this. So fulfilled is that we think of fulfilled just checking it off, and it's done, and we don't have to worry about the law anymore. No, 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 that's not quite right. See, fulfilled is now fullness. See, it's like Christ is going, Moses got you this far, don't commit adultery, and that's pretty good. And he opens up his arm. He said, I won't get you to the place where you no longer lust. Come on, jump up my arms. Moses got you to the place where you knew you weren't supposed to murder. And that's okay. And that's good. That's a good start. But I want to get you to the place, Brian, where you don't hate anymore. Fullness. He's like, you know, the law got you this far. The law got you into here. The law just taught you how to keep the rules. But it didn't teach you how to keep the rules at all, did it? It just taught you what the rules were. And it pointed out how bad you were keeping rules. But I want to get you past the rules into a whole new nature. Now, how does this work? We're closing right here. Okay, so humanity, that's the difference between fullness and fulfilled. I know the word says fulfilled, and it's true. It's not a wrong word. It's It's how it processes in our brain. Because when you hear fulfilled, I know you're an American like me, and you just hear, check it off, check it off, check it off, check it off. Done. Grocery list. But when you hear fullness, now that's a swimming pool I swim in. You know what I mean? I'm swimming in something there. So humanity, now through the Passover, through the cross, I want you to watch this, it's most important. Humanity had been elegantly, elegantly, that means simply. I mean it in the scientific form. Humanity had been simply and elegantly reduced to the lowest common denominator. All that on that day of Passover, imagine with me, all the people on the planet disappeared. Everybody's gone. One actor comes out, and his name is Adam. He's the natural born man, the first son of God. Technically speaking, After the fall, the Bible does not technically call humanity a son of God. It doesn't call you sons and daughters of God. It calls you sons and daughters of Adam. It says that God created Adam after his image, and then Adam begets sons and daughters after his... Now... I'm not saying, the design is God's. So now everything is gone, and there's just Adam, the first son of God, walks out on the stage, which is typified, he is the, he's the composite, he's the placeholder, we'll use that language again, he's the placeholder for all humanity, which in the Passover in Egypt, Egypt was the placeholder of all humanity. Are you following me here? Placeholder. We're still, see, Adam is in the placeholder of all humanity. Which is also, but in the first portrayal of this, the dramatization, Egypt was there. God was judging Egypt. Now he's judging all humanity. 
okay? Then the other player is the firstborn spirit man. He's not born from Adam, is he? It was not Joseph's seed that impregnated Mary. It was God's. He's the first. He is now a son of God as well. But he's not born like Adam. He came through a woman like every other person because that's your entrance into the planet. But he is the spirit man because he's born of God. He's God's seed. Now we got Genesis 3.15. Now don't get me off on that. So we have now... The lesson of Passover is told over and over and over in type. Jesus is the firstborn spirit man. He is typified by Israel in the Passover. Israel is called the Son of God over and over. Israel's a placeholder. He's, he's a type of Israel, the whole nation is a type of Christ. They hold the covenant. But Jesus came from Israel. He's the spirit man. And so when he steps on the scene, then we have the first Adam, the first man Adam, the son of God who failed it all up and took humanity down the pipes with him. It's where you inherited your sin nature. We have the second man, son of God, Jesus, who is a spirit-born man. He's the last Adam. And he now, because he paid for our sin, he became the Passover. We now, the lesson of Passover comes forward. It's told over and over, if you hide in the one, you are saved from the death sentence of the other. If you reject the hiding place, you die in Adam. All of us. Yeah. It's you, when I look at you, I see a son of God. See, that's why Paul said that in Romans 8. Those who are, if you have not the Spirit, you're not a son of God. See, we have this idea that everybody walking on the planet is a son or daughter of God. No. That's not how God sees it. Now do you see why it's so important to bring people into Christ? Because there's coming. See, the Passover's already happened, and it's this extended version of it. But there's coming a day where God's going to say, we're finished with that Passover grace. When the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, God's fixing to start the play clock again, and he's going to judge all the gods of Egypt, a.k.a. the world, a.k.a. of the Edemic race. And so when it says in Galatians that the Spirit of God has been poured out in our heart, that we cry out what now? Daddy, Daddy. Because we are not born of the flesh. We've already, that flesh died. We rejected it in Adam. We came out of Adam, you sinner. You hide that high treason you created and you gave me this corrupted flesh. And we, we denounced Adam and we denounced the works of the flesh and we repented and we said, I am now a spirit man. And we received the blood of Christ as our paschal lamb and we stepped into him. And now I'm, I am saved by the power, the wonder-working power of the blood of the lamb. 
and he gave me a new heart. And I don't have to be told, Brian, not to commit adultery. I don't have to be told, Tim, not to hate my brother. I don't have to be told. I don't have to have the rules anymore, Terry. Because the Holy Spirit wrote them on my heart. Moses doesn't administrate this covenant. The Holy Spirit does. Because whenever Moses came down from the mountain, he gave them the laws. But on the day of Pentecost, that's the same day that Moses came down from the mountain, somebody else came down from the mountain. And it wasn't Moses. It was the Holy Spirit. And he won't just be with you. He will be in you. And he will take everything that is mine and he will teach it to you. And then he signified it. And they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they spake in other tongues, saying, now what these tongues for go to the nations the tower of babel is done away with and you are to communicate this gospel to the four corners of the globe go go what's your mandate go what's your mandate go what's your mandate go but you better be saved first once you're in adam you're dead you're a dead man walking in adam when you're in christ you're a spirit man and you're about his purpose no matter where you find yourself in life, whether you're a truck driver, a doctor, or a soda jerk, or a brain surgeon, or stay-at-home mom, it doesn't matter. You have a great commission to seek and to save that which is lost. Preach the gospel. Raise the dead. Cast out devils freely. You have received. Freely give. We're dismissed.